episode of MJ's Progress, Not Perfection. Today's episode is shorter than usual, and <clears throat> you'll find out at the end why, um, but I guess I'll just say it. Um, I get, my building was being broken into while we were on the podcast by somebody, so like actually around 17, 18 minutes in, you hear a door slam in the background, and you see me like whip my head because you know that's when they were trying to break in through the basement door and I had to hang up to call the authorities and meet them outside and have them check our basement for a possible intruder so that was fun um, but it was a good podcast nonetheless she has amazing recovery to talk about she's been in recovery 19 years um, from alcohol uh, she has her master's degree she's a therapist she has her own podcast. Um, they're all linked in here. You can find her Facebook group, and you can find her podcast and everything just at the link in the description. So enjoy the episode. It is, you know, a half hour instead of the usual hour, but that's on me because I needed to make sure that we weren't going to die in here. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. Sure. Um, how much clean time do you have? Um, I got sober July 1st, 2002. Oh, so you have some good amount of time. Yeah. That's awesome. And you have a podcast? I do have a podcast. It's called Confidence Over Women. I have a Facebook group by the same name. Um, And I'm a therapist, but I also, and I do EMDR trauma work in my private practice. And I also have an online coaching business where I work with women all over the world to help them build emotional sobriety. What is EMDR? Um, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a yeah, neurologically based form of trauma treatment to help reprocess old and disturbing events. Is that like when you also have like (coughs) you have like headphones on? You can use headphones. I use headphones and these little tappers that you hold in your hand. They vibrate back and forth. You can do traditional eye movement as well. You can even do tapping. There's a lot of modalities. They they were starting to do that at my IOP uh-huh. when I got uh, I was in rehab and IOP uh, three years ago, a little over three years ago, and one of the counselors at IOP that's what he was starting to get into was that thing, and I had only done it like twice, and then I I was done the program and I left uh-huh. and I, and I came back so I didn't get to follow through to see how it actually. Because, you know, I, I know that doesn't work right away where you get, like, I'm sure it takes a few sessions, right, where, like, you really can learn something. Because I don't, where I did it wrong, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it does definitely take a little bit of a commitment. I mean, there's some value we can get out of certain um, techniques we can use in the moment that are just to de-escalate situations and really bring the emotional response down. But, yeah, as far as processing through actual traumas and things, yeah. it takes you know, a little bit of time, but it's much faster than traditional talk therapy. And it's much more effective because it literally heals the molecular structure of the brain and um, gives us greater um, relief from that, those emotional symptoms like anxiety, depression, and just, and also into the future. Like, so if you were to, you know, go in the future and have a similar experience or something that brought up those similar negative beliefs about yourself or feelings, we wouldn't be as emotionally stimulated by those things anymore once we're done processing through it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, now, when when you got sober, what was it that got you sober in 2002? What was going on then? So I, um, uh, let's see, you know, I was just 
drinking alcoholically for, I drank, I drank alcoholically for probably 10 years. I was a late bloomer. So I started a little bit later. Um, I was relatively successful. I went to college, you know, I was, I have a master's degree. I actually have a master. I got my master's when at the very end of my drinking, I graduated from my master's program in May of 2002, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> um, I think back on that, but I was a really, really, really sick um, little girl on the inside and I was um, actively suicidal on a regular basis and I hated myself and everything about myself, even though I was doing all of these external things, you know, I had a job, a home, a husband, um, an education. And at the end of my drinking, I, um, was, I, I always knew I was crazy. I just didn't think alcohol had anything to do with it. So I had lots of therapy and I lied to my therapist, you know, so it was never really, um, helpful. Yeah. Um, and at the end of my drinking, I got into a little bit of a tr some legal trouble um, in, at a conference, a professional conference in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was my first interaction with the law. I'd never had any DUI or anything. Uh, and I was paraded out in front of all my hundreds and hundreds of colleagues in a city that I don't know um, and subjected to a variety of things that were pretty unpleasant. And... Um, <clears throat> Following that, my family decided that I needed to go to rehab. So, um, you know, I landed in rehab and I didn't think I belonged there. I spent about two weeks kind of crying about it and saying I didn't belong there and that my people were going to come and get me. And, uh, you know, they didn't come. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, the staff members and people and the owner of that treatment center used to hang out in the cafeteria and say things like, you know, normal drinkers don't end up in rehab. And I didn't understand why I was there. I really didn't. Um, and then I had my first spiritual awakening. I think about, I, I turned 27 in rehab. So my birthday was, was while I was there. And I was sitting out on this beautiful lawn. And I had uh, my first spiritual experience, I guess, or awakening in my view. It, when I kind of just was looking overlooking this beautiful piece of property and kind of evaluating my life at that time. And. I had the overwhelming feeling that I needed to make some kind of a surrender. I don't know that I could use those words at that time, but um, really kind of turned my life over, you know, give, give it up, you know? Yeah. Um, eventually we learned what the words were, how we were feeling. I feel like, you know, I didn't know words like surrender, like except for war, you know, and then you find out, Oh, I was in a war and it was within myself. You know, <laughs> you don't, yeah. you, know, you don't, you don't know these things when you're in addiction because you're so, foggy and blinded by everything else everything's all about me but really nothing was about me because I didn't really ever look inside me <laughs> you know that's yeah you're I so thought. right and I think it's important for you to say that and for us to talk in that way because you know when you've been sober for any length of time if, especially if you worked a 12-step program or whatever you use to get sober we have a language that develops we have a recovery language now that that we 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 um, infiltrate into our lives but if you're new or if you're still trying to figure it out or you're sober curious and you hear words like that, it can be very confusing. And so then that could, that could potentially keep people from getting sober, you know? And so it's important to say things like that because we speak as if we know all the things, like we were <laughs> sitting in treatment, we knew all the things, right? Yeah. And, and we don't. And you're a master's degree, so you really <laughs> know all the things, you know, you have that kind of ego, I'm sure. Like, I know I would. I, I barely finished college, and I still, I, I didn't even finish college, and I still had an ego. 
you know, like I was the smartest guy in the room. You know, that's, you know, I was my own therapist and my own pharmacist. Yeah, know? I mean, I think that my, the education was good. Like I was educated. I didn't have any real exposure to alcoholism in my life. Like my family is all very heavy drinkers, I would call them. Um, we were around a lot of, a lot of drinking and alcohol and partying and stuff, but there was really no alcoholics in my life. So I had never been exposed to anybody or AA or any of that. And so yeah. I got educated formally. So on those kinds of topics, so I knew about it, but I really didn't know what, yeah, that, what it looks like. Yeah. The word I never really knew that was used was gratitude. I knew it was used during Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? I'm grateful for this. And you go around the table and you say that. But, like, I don't remember ever using it outside of Thanksgiving ever in my life until I was, like, 31 and in recovery. Like, I'd never heard people using that word, you know, gratitude and grateful until rehab when we started doing, like, daily 10 steps. You know, we had to do a gratitude list. And I'm like, wait, we're supposed to think about this every day? Like... I did not know those things like until early on. And then you start learning. So I, I'm assuming by your terminology, like surrender, you did go through 12 steps. Um, I did. I got sober in AA. Um, and can I ask where AA is different everywhere in my experience? Sure. I mean, I live in Maryland. Oh, um, cool. Okay. Yeah. I got sober in AA because back then I, I was, I shared a lot about this now because they're really, at least in my world, was nothing else. You know, there was no other way. Um, most of the time when people were struggling with alcoholism and addiction, they went to AA or there was 12 step. Um, there was no smart recovery. There was no quit lit. There was no Facebook groups, yeah. new meeting, none of that. Um, That's what so we run here, actually. We, we have, we're a mental health <laughs> meeting center. And uh, we do four or five meetings every single day here that are mental health based, like Saturdays are trauma based. Um, tonight is LGBTQ night. You know, every night is some harm reduction night. And plus, we have two mental health check in meetings for anybody, whether it's trauma, anxiety, depression, addiction. Mm -hmm. Come on in and talk about your day, whether it's That's in the awesome. morning or at night. So like because, you know, AA I loved and but they didn't really like me because I use cannabis in my recovery. I went to a rehab that taught me how to change our relationship with it. And I still to this day don't smoke. I just use the like little capsules whenever I take my medicine and it just, you know, it's different, but it's, it works for me, but still I'm open about it, but they didn't want me to even share in a meeting. It's like, Oh, you're on methadone. You're on Suboxone. You're on mm -hmm. this. You can't talk. So here we are in my own meeting center that allows anybody, no matter what your recovery looks like, just come on in and talk. So yeah, I love that. I think um, it's been a very interesting journey for me in these last 19 years, because like I said, that was really the only thing. Um, and so I became, I was very loyal to my program, right? I loved AA. I, AA really saved my life, helped me save my marriage, helped me become a person. I mean, I um, had zero skills or anything positive mental health. I mean, so I needed a lot of that kind of help and it worked for me and it was really, really positive and I had great sponsorship. Um, so I felt very loyal to the program. Now there came a time for me for sure when I needed more, right? Cause sobriety is only the beginning. And so at year four, I had my first sober bottom 
that's what I call it. It's, you know, it was a time when I just really got to that same space of desperation that as I had at the end of my drinking, but I wasn't drinking or using. And it was really desperate. And I, you know, had to kind of call out and reach out for help and start changing again. Right. So, but it was, it's been an interesting journey in these last, I'd say probably four or five years, particularly as I started my business, I, it was difficult for me to show up authentically, completely as who I am and what I am. I'm not ashamed of it. I've never was, I was not ashamed, but publicly to be able to talk about this stuff on Facebook, um, out loud, you know, in public spaces is so against being raised in AA. Right. And so I had to really work on that and pray a lot about it and just, and kind of meditate about how I wanted to handle this. Cause I was trying to force myself into being um, this like anxiety coach, which is fine. I can be an anxiety coach. I know a ton about anxiety and how to treat it. Um, it's exact same work that I use in my courses with women now who are sober. <laughs> so the material is the same. How I was presenting myself was not authentic. So I finally had that an epiphany where I was like, wait a second, I need to just show up as and be who I am, who I am fully. Cause then I can talk about who I am. Like then I can talk about what it's like to have a sober bottom. Yeah. It's a lot easier to, to relay things and say things when you can be authentic and not worry about tripping over words you shouldn't say. Right. And when I can literally share my own experience. And so that was really um, a huge change for me. And as I started to dive into some of these other women who were writing incredible books like Laura McGowan, you know, um, We Are the Luckiest, Holly Whitaker wrote The Quit Like a Woman. I mean, there's these Annie Grace, there's all these amazing women who are, who are brilliant and studying addiction and history and putting these books out that are just, to me, so enlightening and fascinating. And they're talking about things like being sober curious. And they're talking about how they didn't get sober right away and it took them a long time and they had to just keep trying different things and keep putting tools in place, but it like wasn't necessarily working, but they took a long time to get there, I guess is my point. And so it's been an interesting journey to really learn about what I call modern recovery, right? With these people who are doing it other ways, you know, that there are other ways to get sober besides AA, which I was told back in the beginning from the beginning that a is not the only way to get sober. It's just the only way I know, but I didn't know any other way. So, and, and even if there was those groups out there, it's not as noticeable because there's no, there wasn't a social media. I mean, MySpace wasn't social media compared to what social media is today. MySpace was not like anything close to what social media looks like today, in my opinion, like what the groups and what you can do. And I'm not even bashing AA. I went through the 12 steps and I got, when I got sober in California, I went to AA at there. I was going to so many meetings. I loved my sponsor. I was trying to get, I had multiple mentors that I would talk to about things. Also, I went through the steps. I had a spiritual awakening. It was amazing out there. It was very liberal though. I could say, I could talk about pills and AA. I could talk about how I use cannabis, my recovery in AA. And then I got back to Pennsylvania and they're like, you can't say pills. You have to say alcohol. Oh, you use cannabis. You can't even share, you know? And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so interesting i actually had an interaction with a client of mine a private practice client of mine who's in recovery and she's fairly early and i get i work with a lot of women in recovery and she was sharing how she's using the vivitrol shot 
which I have a couple clients that have had that um, experience and she's, she's getting raised up in AA and she loves it and she's got phenomenal support and groups and really, really happy with it. But this woman came after her um, the other day because she had her bracelet on. And I thought, Hey, first of all, mind your business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second of all, why would you ever say anything to somebody about how they're choosing to support their recovery if it's working for them. Like, I just I, find that to be very distasteful. And I understand the integrity of AA. I get it. And I and I believe in the integrity of AA. But I just don't think it's anybody's business. That's like saying if you take Zoloft because you have anxiety mm -hmm. and somehow that was publicly known on you, you had a sign that say, I take Zoloft, that, that, that there's something wrong with you. It's prescribed yeah. by your doctor and yeah, it's given it literally to you as a says tool. in the book. It literally says in the book. They wrote in the book <laughs> that it's prescribed by a doctor and you're using it as a medicine. It is okay. Like they were using like I'm like I can't talk. I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna come anymore. So here we are in my own meeting center that allows anybody, no matter what your recovery looks like. It literally says in the book, they wrote in the <laughs> book that it's prescribed by a doctor and you're using it as a medicine, it is okay. Like, they were using, like, crazy stuff for their recoveries back in the 30s and 40s. Like, basically acid. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, our version of that. You know, like, they even talk about all that kind of stuff in the book. And on top of that, I think the type of person that would say that is somebody who is at their bottom. Somebody who is in their bottom of an AA, where they're just, like, looking for something to, like, be mad about. And to, like, start an argument. Because you know how a lot of... I talked about this before. I didn't, it wasn't AA I loved. I love the program. I love the big book. I love the steps. I love the traditions. Like most things, it's the people. It depends on the people. And some places I've had amazing people in the program that I'm still good friends with to this day. And then in other places, we parted ways because it wasn't working, you know, and it is what it is. And I don't, I think AA is still an amazing program. And I still think the steps. I have a sponsee that he also has a Vivitrol shot. Um, when I opened this place up, he came in here and he said, hey, can I, um, you know, can you help me go through the steps? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Let's do it. So we've been going through the steps. You know, it's not AA, but we've been using Russell Brand's recovery book. Okay. And, you know, he went through AA and he just did his own version of the big book. And he wrote a book that was his version of breaking it down for like crazy addicts to read, just like he read it. And it's been awesome. So we've been reading that together instead just to do something a little bit different and not be like using AA in here. But I love the 12 steps. I think they're amazing. Like doing it, you know, 10 step every day and checking mm -hmm. yourself every day is so important that a lot of people don't think about and thinking about gratitude. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's victories. the design for living. It's the design for living that really works. I mean, my second sponsor used to say things like, you know, I wish everybody Eddie in my life would get drunk and lose everything so they can come to AA. Because it really is a design for living that works that, um, you know, regular people walking around don't have guidance for, yeah. you know, and we see evidence of that. I'm sure you do in your own life or in your programs. Like we see evidence of that all over the place. You know, how many people do we know that are just not well? They're not they're well. Yeah, they're like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, you know, we, you should just, and I've said this, I'm like, whatever is making your life unmanageable, go through the steps and take out that word alcohol and put in whatever it is that's making you unmanageable in this situation. Yeah. And if you want help, I'll help you go through it. And you're gonna feel a lot better about it at the end. You know, I even had somebody that we went through to get over an ex. 
You know, we put her name in there. And he felt a lot better about going through it that way. So he'd already been through the steps before with, you know, alcohol and drugs. So why not go through it that way? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I I think that it's really cool that we have the opportunity to obtain so much information. You know, we have that we can consume so much information now. And it's it's like like now it's way better than when I first got sober, you know, when we didn't really have much going on on the Internet. And so now we just have so much access to stuff. And you're talking about um, the different groups. It made me think of like any institution, you know, like churches, for example, is another great example of that. Like how many people, I mean, I've seen so many women come through my room who have major spiritual trauma, major. I mean, some stuff that you just can't believe people would do in the name of God, right? In these kind of horrible churches. And then other people who are super spiritually connected and feel super connected to their church and their their community and their and their people because that's just the way that church runs and so there's always going to be any wherever there are people there are, are going to be uh, you know flaws <laughs> you know every institution every every employer every school building you know they're going to be they're filled with people and people are just inherently flawed and so when when you have a bunch of them that aren't well you know alcoholics or not they're just not yeah. well they're angry, they're damaged, they have their own issue. They're going to do with whatever they can to spread that mess, you know, to anybody who will listen. And so when we stay stuck in somebody else's mess, it it hurts us, you know, and it prevents us from getting, you know, in touch with the sunlight of the spirit, really, and stepping into that light. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I don't, I'm not even a religious person, you know, and I used to be, I grew up Catholic. And I had a tough time, you know, with it early on in AA. And then someone said, you know, you know, there's a difference. It's religions, people who fear hell and spirituality, people who have been there and back. Mm-hmm. And um, that made a lot of sense to me. But still, I can respect anybody that can find, like, peace within themselves, whatever it is, whether it is the Bible, whether it's going to churches, whether it's find just find support with people that you can trust and you can open up to. And you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. Yeah, I agree. Spirituality means so many different things to so many different people. And it's really is inherently in all of us. I believe, you know, that there is a spiritual side to all of us. We're just born with that. And whether it's connection through nature or, you know, mother earth or the spirit or universe or God, whatever it is, like, I do believe that we all do need to find some kind of connection outside of ourselves just because eventually people disappoint, you know? Um, And so if we run out of resources, including ourselves, you know, where we have nothing, we have nowhere else to turn, you know, what then? And so if we don't have some kind of sense of something, it's going to be a real lonely experience. Yeah. And it was a lonely experience as you know, I didn't think that I was lonely going to bars with friends and going out and I was around people, but like I was alone in my mind. That's for sure. Like, you know, I wanted to be somewhere else every single time and it was in a corner in a fetal position and just like not thinking about stuff, you know, like, did you get into any, you didn't get any drugs. You just, you were like a real deal alcoholic, as I would say. Pretty much. I mean, there was some weed around. Um, it just never, I always say that it never came across my face. Um, I'm sure I would have liked anything that anybody would have given me, 
but yeah. it, it, for some reason it never in our circles that just wasn't a part of the scene well, and so yeah. there was no opportunity for me to to try stuff but i always say i'm sure i would have liked it yeah because i i feel like that time period is when like ecstasy was like at its height and that was like all over the clubs and the bars and stuff like that so that's why I wasn't sure being college aged but that was like the only reason I remember because I was in high school then I wasn't doing ecstasy but it, that's when Bad Boys 2 made that movie and it was all about that that's the only reason why I know it was around that time period for that's sure. so funny yeah. I think I was a little scared of drugs too just from the way we were raised and stuff I mean like I said, I mean, in our high school circles and stuff, it was definitely drinking. Um, it's yeah. definitely alcohol. There was a little bit of weed, but not even really. It's so funny. I have three teenagers now. Um, they're seven, almost 18, 16, and 14. And the weed is like the thing. I mean, there's like, they don't really drink that much. They're afraid of drinking um, a little bit. Well, they, that's good. Because of my story, but I think they just, they hear the things, you know, girls get raped when they're drinking you know, um, people get in accidents, things like that, but they sure do love some weed. Mm. Um, but so now the generational shift has happened, I believe, where weed is definitely the thing. Well, that's um, a lot better than, you know, because number one, the weed back when, like when I was in high school, 2000s, mid 2000s, it wasn't anywhere near what it is today. Yeah, um, it didn't have fentanyl in it. Well, especially, yeah, well, fentanyl is in everything now. That's actually the person who has the Vivitrol, I reminded him because meth was his drug of choice besides alcohol. And I reminded him that don't forget there's fentanyl in your meth around now, right now. Like yeah. you you can't go to that either. Like that's gonna make you sick. I know. So like, it's, you know, unbelievable. I just read about a comedian in LA and three of his friends had overdosed because they did cocaine over yeah. the weekend and it was laced, you know? Yeah, yeah I am yeah. definitely afraid of relapse because it's not even like I don't trust myself to do a one and done. I don't trust the one and done. I don't trust whatever's going to be in there. Yeah. You know, I would be one and done, you know, because you don't know what's in there anymore. And I just don't, I, I don't, I don't need it. I needed it then. I needed it in my 20s because I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't know about all these things. I didn't know it was okay to feel bad. You know, and, and guys with mental health, you know, is a big thing because we're, we're not supposed to show it. Mm. You know, we have to keep it in because that's how we're raised. It's like, oh, don't don't show weakness. Don't show the weakness. So, mm. you know, you're made to, like, keep it in and find ways to keep it in. And then it just hurts. And you don't know how to let it out. But once I let it out, there's no going back now. <laughs> I don't want that at all anymore. Um mm -hmm. I do have to call you sure because I have to call the cops because somebody just tried breaking into my building. So, yeah, if you saw me looking down, I just had to text my landlord and say, was that you? And she said no. So I oh my gosh. Pop up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. I yeah, this is like the third time they try breaking in over the weekend, too. But I'm here all the time. So they keep on getting scared and running. Okay. So I got to file something. I'm sorry. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got to. Well, best of luck. Sorry. Thank Ooh. you. No, it's okay. It's not you. I'm sorry. All right. Bye. Bye.